Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Father, as we approach the study of your word this evening, we thank you so much for your precious Holy Spirit who is here to teach us and guide us, to open up our ears to hear the truth, our eyes to see it, our hearts to embrace it. And we believe to be changed by it from glory to glory, Father. Speak to our hearts as you would. Have direction for our spirits and illumination to our minds that we might, Father God, be vessels of light in a world of darkness and hold forth a word of light to this generation. And Father, we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for all that takes place among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Talk about, maybe in the next couple of weeks, talking about possessing our land. Possessing our land. Isn't it good to know that you have a place, you have a land that belongs to you, and no enemy has a right to take it from you? Amen. So in book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1 and verse 8, let's read this text first. Look, I am giving all this land to you, Go in and occupy it, for it is the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all their descendants. Okay. Notice the language here. It's your land. Go in and occupy it. God gave it to, to them. It belongs to them. And it was up to them to go in and enter into it and take it. And of course, we know that if we want it, we've got to take it by force, right? But before we get into all that, let's begin here by saying that God has always had a place of perfect rest for his people. A perfect place for them to live in and occupy. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you think about that beautiful, wonderful paradise that God had provided for them when he made his man and, and woman and placed them there in the garden. You think about how there was no sin, no sickness, no disease, no death. There were no crimes, no violence that was taking place or anything of that nature. No storms. Isn't that good to know that? that? No criminal activities taking place. Just a beautiful, beautiful place. There was no cold weather there during that time that they were sojourning there. No storms that were arising, rainstorms. As a matter of fact, think about this. There was no need for rain. Because a mist came up out of the ground and watered everything. Imagine that perfect place that they were in. That when the ground got a little bit thirsty. It just came up from beneath. A mist and watered everything. Wouldn't that be great? You wouldn't have to water your garden. We have no idea what that's even like, do we? But it's a place where there was no sickness or disease. Where God would just provide a perfect place uh, for them and... Uh, what about this? Something that I'm sure that every one of us would like to, to know. The food that they ate, it had to be perfect. Imagine it. Delicious. Fruit off the trees. And who knows how big the tomatoes were, if they were tomatoes and pepper plants and, and all that. But it was just a perfect place for these people to exist in, to live in. And of course, they forfeited that because uh, of what they did. But it was a flawless paradise that they enjoyed. Then secondly, we see there's the promised land, which is what he's talking to Joshua about, the promised land. And that's the place where the Israelites were supposed to live and dwell. And God would care for them. He would protect them. He would provide for them. 
It's a place where he actually said that he would give them milk and honey and grapes. The clusters were so big that it took two men to carry a cluster of grapes. Now I heard the biggest cluster of grapes that we know of is 21 pounds. So can, and you can carry that yourself, but can you imagine it took two men on a pole to carry one cluster of grapes out of the promised land? Can you imagine how big it must have been? And it was a land that God had prepared for them on his own. So imagine the fruit of the land. And what about this? It was a well-furnished land. You ever um, hear of a furnished apartment? In that apartment, there's everything there. In other words, you're going to pay rent and it's completely furnished. You don't have to buy a refrigerator or a stove or a dishwasher or anything like that. Washer, dryer and all that. All the furniture's there. All the chairs, the couches, the beds and all that. It's all furnished. Well, this land was furnished. They lived in houses that they didn't build. They drank from wells that they did not dig. They ate from trees that they didn't plant. And it just goes on and on. It was a beautiful place for them to dwell in. And in that place, God says he would take sickness and disease away from the midst of them and fulfill the number of their days. What a beautiful place for them. He would be an enemy to their enemies, an adversary to their adversaries, and no one would be able to bring them out of the land or take their lives. But we know they also forfeited that through disobedience and always went back into captivity. But then we have the place of rest for the believer, for you and for me. And what is that place? It's in Christ. It's living in the finished work of Christ and knowing that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It is knowing that God has already given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And it's in this place that God wants us to dwell. It's in this place that God wants us to live and experience the fullness of his love. His goodness, His mercy, His grace. A place where He will defend us and protect us and care for us. A place where He would provide for us everything that we need according unto His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's a place of rest. But notice with me in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. That He gives us a warning. And basically you can say it's a warning that He gave. That we, we get because of what Israel did. The Hebrew people. And also because of what Adam and Eve did. Listen to this. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter, in, enter his rest. As for the others, God said, can we continue that all the way down to verse 11 uh, while I'm saying this? In my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. You know, if God takes an oath and says you're not going to enter his rest, guess what? You're not getting in. Even though this rest had been ready since he made the world. Wow. God is always trying to get people to enter into his rest. But it seems like they don't want to stay there. Adam and Eve stepped beyond the boundaries that God established for them. And they stepped right out of their rest. 
The Israelites did the same thing and stepped beyond the boundaries that God established for their existence and what happened to them? They went back into captivity. Let's read on. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for the people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced through David much later in the words already quoted today when you hear his voice don't harden your hearts now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. So in other words, there's a warning given to even us today. That there's a special rest. And that special rest is in Christ. Now think about it. Hebrews chapter 1 talks about the coronation of Jesus. And how Jesus was given back all his glory that he gave up. And the angels were to bow down to him once again. He's greater than the angels. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about how he's greater than Moses. Because you know how much they depended on Moses. And they looked to Moses. But Jesus is greater than Moses. He's the high priest of the new and everlasting covenant. And then also it talks about how he defeated the devil. And broke his power from off our lives. And then it enters into chapter 3. He's the high priest of our confession. And remember this. He watches over our confession before the throne of God whether it's right or wrong and he says if you confess me I'll confess you if you deny me I'll deny you so as we confess the word he confesses the word and he says they're speaking my word so honor the word that they're speaking but then as he transitions in that chapter that third chapter what does he start talking about how the Israelites failed to enter into the place of rest that God provided for them why because of their unbelief that was the sin he's referring to the sin was the sin of unbelief. How many of you know that only faith pleases God? And that without faith, we can't please God. How essential is faith then? And why is it so important to God? Well, think about it. We understand we can be good, do good things, have good conduct and good morals and all that. And that's wonderful. And God wants that from all of us. But you, did you know pleasing God goes beyond that? That pleasing God goes to the place of believing God. Why? Because it challenges his very integrity. It challenges his very character. He is a loving heavenly father. And when he speaks, he stands behind every word that he speaks or that is revealed from his lips. And not to believe it is almost like saying this. I can believe the father of lies in preference to the son of God who is incarnate truth. Why is it so easy for us to believe our flesh? To believe lies, circumstances and reports that come from man 
and exalt those things above something that God said when he is ultimate truth. When he has never spoken a lie, not one word ever from his mouth has failed to come to pass. But we struggle with believing what he said above what our eyes see, above what our ears hear, above what we feel with our hands. Is this not true? Mm -hmm. We get a little pain right here and we forget about with his stripes we were healed. Come on, let's be honest, right? It's so easy for us to drift away from the word which is ultimate truth and experience, accept the experience of our flesh or of our feelings above it all. That's the struggle of faith. Really, that's the fight of faith. The only battle that we're in is the battle with faith. And listen, that means we win victories with words. That's what it means. That's how we win victories. By speaking the word over situations. God's word. Exalting it above the circumstances that we encounter in this world. So a warning has been given to us, just like it was given to them, that if we're not mindful, we too can stop short of entering into the fullness of God's rest, a place where we're not doing it on our own. If you think about it, it's an easy place, but it's so hard to get into, it seems like. Is it not? Just sit back and just say, okay, I cast the care on you. One of the biggest things we face in society today is worry that takes people to the hospitals all the time. So full of fretting, anxiety, and worrying and all that. What are we worrying about when Jesus said you can't add one cubit to your stature? Not one. Can't put one hair back on your head. Not one. But yet, it seems like we could be champion warriors. Because we can't see the outcome. When God just says, hey, just put it over on me. Think about it. If we really believed that God was handling our situation, would we worry? You walk out of your bank, you trust your bank, you commit your money to the bank, you trust them, and they bring it to pass. True? You commit your money to the bank, when you walk out, you trust them to do the right thing with it, and they bring it to pass. When you write out your check, the money's there, right? You really believe. God says, commit your way to me. Trust me, and I will bring it to pass. Why is it easier to walk out of a banking institution with trust in your heart, believing they're going to do it exactly they're supposed to do? And yet when you say, Lord, I'm just casting this care upon you, and you walk away and go, where am I going to get the money? Where am I going to get the money? Oh my goodness, where am I going to get the money? How am I going to pay the bill? Why is that so easy to do? Is it because we can't see him? Or have we failed to really understand his integrity? Think about his integrity. If you truly commit it to me, he said, I will bring it to pass. All you have to do is trust me with your situation. So, when it comes to possessing the land, which is what we want to talk about, what is it that we want to possess? And to possess means to take under your control. Could it be our finances? Could it be our health? Could it be our marriage? Could it be things dealing with our children? There are many things that really, you could say, define the land of the Christian. The land of the believer. Whether it's paying my mortgage, whether it's my child uh, being healed, whatever it might be. Maybe controlling my own emotions and my feelings and all that. He is saying, look, I've made it possible for you to enter into a place of rest and you can control all these things not in your own strength, but in my strength, with my power.
And so that's what we want to talk about. And I wrote down some things I think that will be helpful to us. Number one, what we don't possess will possess us. In other words, what we don't bring under our control will control us. Go back to Adam and Eve. They were given dominion over all the works of God's hands, right? And when the time came for them to bring things under their control, what happened? They were distracted from their position, their place, their power given to them by God to rule by a serpent. They had power to control that situation. But they refused to use the power to control the situation. So guess what? The situation controlled them. And brought them down. And they lost their dominion. They lost their power. They lost their authority. Their right to rule. And now they're slaves to sin and death. Think about Solomon. The wisest man. Sometimes when you hear about these things you wonder... What happened to the wise man? How can he act so foolish? That's what pride will do. We get caught up in pride and don't take control of our emotions and our pride. And what happens? It begins to rule us. Look in 1 Kings, what it says here about Solomon. This wise man failed to do what God said to do because he wouldn't take control over his passions, his lusts. And as a result... The women that he got involved with took his heart far away from God. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect in the, with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the admonition abomination of the Ammonites and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as David his father as did David his father so here we see him who is such a wise man not realizing by not controlling his passions his lusts and so on that with all this wisdom he did something extremely foolish and who knows the outcome as far as his life is concerned. I can only pray that that wouldn't affect him eternally. But you don't just have that kind of a relationship with God. And start worshiping idols. And false gods. And not pay a price for it. No if, you don't, if we don't possess our passions. They will control us and possess us. Now in, as far as we're concerned. Look in Romans chapter 6. This is from the New Living Translation. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. So in other words, we can control sin rather than having sin control us. Just like Adam and Eve could. Just like Solomon could. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So the first point is if we want to possess our land, we need to realize that we have power.
power. We have the ability, the authority to rise up above whatever it is that we face and any enemy that tries to keep us out of this place of rest. This is a battle of faith. So what do we do? We use words. Words of faith to say, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not falling victim to your plans. Number two, it's important to know that the land has already been given to us. We have this land. We're not trying to get into Christ. Christ is in us the hope of glory. We already have the Godhead living on the inside of us. We're in this place of rest. But to enjoy the fullness of it, it's our responsibility to take possession of it. Now the scripture there in your notes is wrong. It should be Joshua 18 and verse 3, not 8. So make a, if you have a pen there, make note of that. Make a correction there so that you know the right verse. Before Joshua took possession of the promised land, that God said he would give him the land, God told him he would give him the land. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, the land belongs to you with your land. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord, your, the God, God of your fathers, hath given you. He gave you something, but you're not going to get it. You're not going to possess it. You're not going to take it. I guarantee you, if, if I said to you, uh, here's a thousand dollars sitting here on the platform. Let me see, who wants it? And I called your name out and said it belongs to you. You think you'd forget and walk out of church service and just forget to take it? Or would you be sitting there couldn't wait till the service was over? Because that would be my stipulation. And I have to watch you like a hawk and just say, you're going to listen to everything I say. Every word that comes out of my mouth. Right? But there it is. But if you walk out and you don't take it, you don't possess it, it's not my fault, is it? He made the provision for us to experience it. And Joshua was saying, look, you're not possessing even or controlling your own desires. For some reason, are you afraid to go and get what belongs to you? Are you afraid an enemy might keep you out of the land? If God said it belongs to you, then go get it. But they wouldn't go get it. So once again, it's not God's fault if they don't possess it. So he's already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's already given us every blessing in spiritual places in Christ Jesus. So we have it all. It's our possession right now. But to walk in the light of it, it takes faith on our part to recognize it and just say, Okay, devil, get your hands off of my property. I am not going to take no for an answer from you. You're not going to stop me from enjoying my inheritance. It's a fight of faith. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 verse 20. This is from the NIV version of the Bible. And I'll tell you what. If this doesn't make you shout, go buy a new shouter. If this doesn't fire up, then your wood is wet. You ready for it? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Someone says, you know, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, 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 no. That's not what the scripture said. You find a, a promise spoken by God. Every promise he made. The answer is what? Yes in Christ. Listen. And so through him. The amen is spoken by whom? By us to the glory of God. So the yes. Can only be received by amen. 
from us. So in other words, God, you promised, you said it, it's mine, so be it, amen. I'm possessing it. I'm taking it. It belongs to me. Strength is mine. Financial help is mine. Health is mine. I'm receiving direction. It belongs to me. Guidance, I'm, it's mine. Amen. It's, I agree with it. See, we add our amen to the promise of God. But if you, if you walk around like some people, well, you never know what God's going to say. He might say yes. He might say maybe. He might say no. Where is that in the Bible? I've never seen that in the Bible anywhere. Every promise is yes. But the amen's got to come from us. Hallelujah. Now, notice that God is faithful to fulfill his promise, okay? And I want you to see these scriptures. Because if these, once again, don't fire you up. Oh my, something's wrong. Look at Joshua 21 verse 45. And just think about, just think this through. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. You know how much he spoke to Israel? You know how many statements he made to Israel? And not one. Look at 23 and verse 14. And behold this day, I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing had failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you, all are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. That's a pretty good track record so far. Look at 1 Kings 8 and 56. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto the, his people Israel, according to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. I know what some people are thinking, but that was Israel. We got a better, better covenant with better promises. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession or confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised us. Whatever promise that God has made for you and for me, He is faithful to watch over every word that ever came out of His mouth. There is power in every word of God. And the way we possess our land is by realizing that God has given us to the land. It is their land of promise. It's our land of promise. And all we have to do is say amen to it. It's mine. I got it now. Number three. Don't fear the size of the enemy. Don't fear the size of the enemy. I'm telling you, every mountain should not be considered insurmountable. It should just be considered another situation in which God can show himself strong. It's not insurmountable when God's on your side. Look, David stood before Goliath. And I know you know the story, but just briefly, all these soldiers, these mighty men, warriors, cowered in fear before Goliath, even Saul, head and shoulders taller than anyone there in, in the army, cowered in fear before Goliath. There was no way that they were going to go out there. So all these people, the Israelites, all these warriors that should know God, especially if you're going out to battle, you better know God. And you can't tell me that God didn't intervene for them on numerous occasions already. 
But in this situation, they were so afraid of Goliath, such a big giant, a mountain of a man and a warrior and all that, that they cowered in fear and would not for 40 days even get near him. But this young boy comes along and he sees the situation. And what does he do? What did he just say? I just heard him say something defying the army of the living God. I will fight him. I'll tell the king I'm going to go out there and fight him. This is what we're talking about. The land belonged to them. Victory belonged to them. But fear stopped them from possessing the land. Fear kept them out of what God wanted them to have. But faith stepped in and dispelled fear. When David went up there and just said, You come at me with all your armor. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Words he spoke destroyed the power of the enemy. And you see God honored that word. So it doesn't matter how big the giant is. It matters how big God is. And our view of the God that we serve. Do we see him as being bigger than the problem? Do we see him as being greater than the problem? You know what? Think about it. How can we believe the father of lies and not believe incarnate truth? Let that sink into our ears. God wants us to believe him above everything else. In other words, he is saying, if your feelings and emotions act up, give him the word. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm only moved by what I believe, and I believe the word of God. Then look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. David knew that Goliath didn't have a covenant with God, but he did. And on the basis of the covenant, he could say what he said. Now Joshua uh, was told that God would be with him everywhere he went. And it didn't matter who he encountered or what he encountered, that God would be with him. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. You say, well, that's what God said to Joshua. Yeah, I realize that. That, in other words, enabled Joshua to have a what? A foundation for his faith. See, faith is not built on nothing. Faith is built upon the foundation of God's word. And if God says something and you know that not one word of his mouth fails ever, that he'll watch over it, that he'll make it good, that he'll honor it, then we need to rise up in faith and take a hold of it and just say, I'm trusting you above anything else because you said this. And so I believe what you said must come to pass. It's not if. It must come to pass because if not, you jeopardize your integrity. Right? So yeah, Joshua can say, let's go walk around the walls of Jericho. Aren't you afraid, Joshua? No. Why not? Because God told me, God told me, it doesn't matter who I face, no one is a match for my God. And that's how we should all feel. But okay, that was them. What about us? I'm glad you asked. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Did he give us Jesus? Is Jesus the guarantee of the new and everlasting covenant? Is he the surety? Is he the one that, pro that really provides for us the certainty of outcome of a situation? 
He stands behind every covenant word, every covenant promise. He stands behind before the throne of God and just says, it must come to pass, I am the surety of it. And what about this in Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6, latter part of 5 and verse 6. He has said, I will, I will not, I will not, I will not leave you or forsake you. That you may boldly say with words of faith, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. He is my strength. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I remember the name of the Lord my God. He said, I'll never leave you. He said, I'll never forsake you. So start boldly saying it, praise God. I believe in the name of the Lord my God. Hallelujah. Give me my land. Okay, number four. Don't listen to the enemy's lies. And I'm telling you, there are many. There are many. Actually, this is one way you can learn to know the voice of God. When the devil says, you're not going to get what you need, that's a lie. Then you know you're going to get what you need. He must be nervous about it. Because he knows you're in faith. He wants to convince you, so you can start saying with him, I just, I'm not going to get it. I just can't stand up under the pressure and all that. Well, you know what? Don't buy the lie. Don't listen to the enemy's lies. Now listen, God revealed to us through his scriptures that Satan will use people to get us to believe the lie look at Numbers 13 he'll use people to convince us to stop believing God when they spied out the promised land these men came back but the men that went up with him said we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we that's true in the natural and so you see the enemy used these leaders to convince all the people that they can't do it and as a result they bought the lie and because they bought the lie fear possessed them they didn't have control over their emotions, one called fear. Fear controlled them. And so they acted in fear. They operated in fear. And they allowed the emotion of fear to make their decision and their choice not to go in and take the land. God never said, you're going to get in the land because you're so strong, because you're so powerful, because you're so mighty. He never said that. Did he? No. He didn't say that at all. He said, I will go before you. I will fight for you. I will defend you. I will get you into the promised land. That's what he said. And you see, Caleb and Joshua understood that. And that's why they're called a new breed, a different breed. They believed the word of God above their senses, above the situation. And as a result, they got into the promised land. It was delayed, yes, but they got into the promised land finally because they used words of faith and not overcome, were overcome by fear and doubt. Now, look in Acts chapter 5 to show us if we don't possess our emotions, they will possess us. They will control us. We'll be under their control and not have them under our control. But a certain man in Ananias and Sapphira, don't believe the lie of the devil, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, 
and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles feet but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land while it remained was it not in your own was it not thine own and after it was sold was it not in your own power why have you conceived this thing in your heart you have not lied to men but unto God and Ananias hearing these words fell down and gave up the ghost and great fear came on all them that heard these things what had possession of Ananias and Sapphira and the wife fell, fell dead as well later on in that same chapter the land possessed them the land that represented the money that they sold it for possessed them see they were so concerned that they bought into the lie if you give it then you're not going to have enough for yourself well that's okay they could have kept the money themselves and not lied about it but no they wanted both they wanted to look good you see and still have their money that's what they wanted to do so they lied about it instead of controlling their emotional feelings they let the land really have them their heart their convictions and now, you know what they paid dearly for it didn't they now who got the money have you ever think about it? who got all that money where'd it go who took it they didn't enjoy it they both fell over dead right there if we don't possess our feelings and emotions then they're going to possess us and take control of us and we're not going to enjoy the land of rest you see how they could have rested in the victory had they done the right thing number five to possess our land give no ground to the enemy give no ground to the enemy now Samson is quite a character in the Old Testament in the book of Judges you could read about him beautiful story though if you think about his beginning and this will really help us those of us that believe in pro-life that when the angel came and appeared to his parents and told him how you like this the scripture says that she was barren without child she couldn't conceive and without child it says that she was that way but the angel comes and reiterates that to her oh woman you're, you, you can't conceive and you have no children didn't have to tell her that she knew it but you are going to have a son and he is going to be a mighty deliverer he is revealing to her the plan that God has for her son who is yet to be conceived think about that and these people that say that a life isn't a life until when Jeremiah it was told to him I knew you before your mother's womb it's a life and not only is it a life it's a destiny and God already knew it and God already had it planned out and told him that this is what's going to happen this is what he's going to do well Samson was certainly a mighty man as far as war was concerned and certainly was empowered by God and because the people wondered where he got his strength I guess he didn't look like one of the bodybuilders that we know of today because had he had these massive biceps and chest and all that they would have known where he got his strength from so he might have been five five and a half um, 159 
God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, doesn't he? Okay, and so we see him under the unction and anointing of the Spirit of Almighty God. And what does he do? Great mighty feats. But he did not have control over some things in his life. His passions as well. Okay, so don't make a deal with the devil. Don't make a deal with the enemy. Give no place to the enemy. What does he do? We know what he does. He has a weakness for women. And after many occasions, basically lying to her about his strength and where it comes from, right? He finally spills his guts, pours out his heart to her, right? And finally, she gets it out of him. Give no place to the devil. Right? Okay. So they come in and they shave his head. And he jumps up when she says, the Philistines are here, the Philistines are here. And he jumps up like he's going to do as he did before because his strength is going to come. But there's no strength. There's no power. There's no ability. So what happens? He's taken captive by his enemy. He wist not that the Spirit of the Lord, the anointing of God, departed from him. Oh my, what an awful place to be in. So they pluck out his eyes and he's blind. He goes grinding at the mill of his enemies. They make sport of him, the one who was the Philistine slayer with the jawbone of a mule, a thousand, one man. And so now they're playing sport with him and now they're just wreaking havoc with him. Okay, number one, Samson was foolish because he gave the secret out. Right? But you know as you read on in the scripture it says, but his hair began to grow back. Do you ever wonder why they didn't hire a barber? <laughs> Haven't you wondered that? Would you have allowed that to happen? If you knew that's where his strength came from and his hair grew back, wouldn't you keep that thing shiny, shaved and shiny? But no, it grows back. And what happens? He asked to be placed there in the Colosseum, and you know the rest of the story. And he asked the Lord to give him back strength, at least for this one more time. And of course, the pillars come down and everybody gets killed and all that. But once again, he gave place to the enemy and as a result of giving place to the enemy which was an entry point what happens he doesn't possess anymore the power of God in his life and then what about us look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 and 27 gives us some insight if we want to possess our promised land and enjoy and experience the fullness of our blessings and all the things that we have in Christ. We can't allow the enemy, our feelings or emotions to control our lives. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place. The word in the Greek is topos. It means territory. It means ground or an entry point. Don't give the devil an entry point. So when our feelings get stirred up and anger begins to rise up within us it is absolutely essential 
that we keep them in check and recognize the fact that the enemy is toying with us and he wants to get us to either ruin our testimony, tarnish our testimony, ruin our witness and do things that will bring a reproach to the kingdom of God or do things to destroy a marital relationship or do things that will drive children far away from the things of God or do things that will get us to lose our job and destroy our finances. The enemy doesn't want us to enjoy the fullness of our inheritance and so he'll do anything and everything he possibly can to keep us out. But it's up to us to recognize what he uses and take a stand and say I am not giving you an entry point. Now this is quite of a, a graphic testimony or, or way of saying it or illustration I should say but it does drive home the point. When someone says but I just can't control my anger because I get so angry. And I just have no control over it. Hmm. Someone comes up to you and puts a gun to your head. And you are fuming now. Are you going to control your anger? Or are you going to act up and let him shoot? What are you going to do? Oh, I guess you can control your anger now. Because your life depends on it. Right? My life depends on it. If you have a job where you can't get angry with your customer because the customer is always right and you really appreciate your paycheck. You're so hot you can fry an egg on your head. But what do you do? Uh, yes ma'am. Uh, yes sir. I'll talk to, uh, you know, to the manager about that. Oh I would be glad to assist you and help you in any way I possibly can. Why are you controlling your anger then? But when you get home we just throw caution to the wind because you see everyone should know it's my time just to let go. Really? No it's not. It's more so a time to be in control because your land is your life. Your land is your marriage. Your land is your children. Your land is honoring God and promoting the kingdom of God and the things of God. Your land is your health and your well-being. Your land is your financial resources. It's everything that God wants to bless you with in this life on this side of heaven to enjoy the fullness of it so that, praise God, you could be a shining light in a world of darkness. And when they see you hand in hand with your husband with your wife after 50 years of marriage and you're still just filled with joy and love for with each other and all that and they wonder how you have done that it's because you didn't give place to the devil because you were you possessed what belongs to you and did not allow anything to control your life and so God has a beautiful place for us to rest in it's a place of victory and there's so much more. We're going to give you so much more next week as well. But um, just for now, let's really let this impact us. Don't believe the lie of Satan when you can believe incarnate truth. Tell that to yourself. How can I let my feelings tell me something is more important than what God said, whose ultimate truth, whose incarnate truth, who never spoke a lie? And that'll really buoy up our faith. Can you see that? Jesus, if you said you took my sin, my sickness, you carried my pain, became the curse for me, I believe it. My feelings don't say it. The doctor doesn't say it. Reports don't say it. But you know what? You said it. I believe it. God wants to know that we trust His integrity. 
and know that he cannot lie. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.